Hi, everybody. This is Phil Town. This is Danielle Town. And we're here for the Invested Podcast, where we talk about how to get focused on your financial future, the way the best investors in the world invest, how Warren Buffett does it, and how to make it a practice in your life. We talk about how to be mindful about what's happening with your money, how to, which is a term I don't like, but it's the best one we have. It's about how to be focused and aware with what is happening to your financial future. And that is something I find very difficult. So I'm trying to learn it. And, and I'm trying to teach it. And, and Tad's trying to teach it. So, uh, and so yeah. far, I've, I've, I would say that the, my success rate is mm, modest. Yeah, you're doing good. You're doing good. I mean, I've gone in the last year, I've gone from zero interest, zero interest. I would say less than zero to moderate interest. Well, we got to I mean, get it all the way. that's pretty good. That's, that's a decent move. I got to say, decent move. And we're going to go farther, further. Is it further or farther that you go? Oh, I don't know. One is for distance and one is for something else. Okay. I don't know. I don't know either. That's like an SAT question it and is. I do not remember. I don't even know. So we're going there and we're going into it today on the idea of, um, it actually comes from a question that was asked about why we're not using dividends when we're trying to figure out the value of a business. So we're going to we're going to swim from last week where we were on the very surface of the pool. We're now going to dive deeply into the pool of valuation and see if we can answer this question because it's a good question. Yeah, um, we've gotten dividends. this question from a couple of readers. Send your questions to invested to Danielle at investedpodcast.com. No, that's not right. Send your questions to questions at investedpodcast.com. I do check them, so that's why I was thinking it was to me. But it's not. It's to both of us. Questions at investedpodcast.com. And the, the question that's been coming in is, how am I supposed to figure out how dividends factor into this valuation thing? We've gone through a number, I think, three different ways of valuation, right? Mm -hmm. and, and the question people are asking is, what about which a really good question what about this money that's coming back to me out of a company how to like should a company a that does not give a dividend be be valued in, a, in some lesser way than company b who does give me a dividend every year and i think it's so so your flip answer two podcasts ago was it doesn't matter at all and you shouldn't count it at all and that's the dumbest question i ever heard basically <laughs> And I'm laughing because that is nowhere remotely near what I said. I did say that it is a, it's a good question. There's this is a very good question. And it is a good question. And if you were to go to NYU Business School, you would find that there is a methodology of valuing businesses based on and very importantly based on dividends. Oh but, really? Yeah. But, oh, well, I did not go to NYU Business School, so and I don't know. Neither did I, which is why I've got my head screwed on straight about investing. <laughs> so no offense, anybody that's teaching there. So I, I just wanted to say that that it is a, a method that is used um, and it is a, it, it just doesn't quite fall into our strategy. Um, so I want to kind of go through where dividends do fit in. I think yes, this is please. a good idea. So, you know, quick review, we've looked at three different ways of valuing a business. We've looked at the idea that you're going to look at earnings and determine the future growth of earnings and then discount that back to 
today's value in a process we call the margin of safety analysis, which is a very traditional sort of way of valuing a business. Then we're looking to buy those businesses uh, at 50% of the value that this analysis gives us. We call the, the, the value that it gives us the sticker price or the intrinsic value or what it's worth as a business. And then the discounted value or the discounted price that we want to buy it for is the margin of safety price and it's 50% below the intrinsic value. So basically you find this margin of or this intrinsic value price and then you just cut it in half. Cut it in half. Now, the problem with this is that it's earnings are a bit of a fictional thing. And um, while they're a commonly used way of understanding the value of a business, um, that's not the only way to look at it. What we like to do actually is to look at a business the way we would look at it if the business wasn't a publicly traded company at all. And if we were just going to buy it and own it. So we're just a regular family and we've got some money and we want to buy a business and we don't. We don't want to buy a public business because they're expensive. We're just going to buy a private business. What would we pay for that private business? So we went through that analysis and we call that the payback time. In other words, we're going to pay an amount of money that's not going to take us a stupid amount of time to get back. We need to get our money back because we're never going to sell this business. So we want to recover our capital and that becomes the most important focus on the value is, hmm, can we buy a good business, wonderful business? at a price where we get our money back in seven or eight years, 10 years, 10 years is, is long. Anything longer than that is way too long. So okay. that's basically the idea of payback time. And then the third view was taking a look at value based on the way we would do an analysis of a real estate uh, business, real estate business. By that, I mean a house that we're going to buy the rent out is a business. That's what we're, we treat everything as a business. So if we were to buy that house, what we would do is we would calculate the current rent. We would subtract what it would cost us to maintain the house, to uh, pay the insurance and to pay the taxes on it and any kind of management we had to pay, which is none since it's us. And what we have left, if we paid all cash for that house, what we have left is what we would call owner's cash flow. So we took a look at valuing businesses based on owner cash flow. We're going to come back to these all, and we will definitely dig deeper. Yeah, we're going to do flow. a detailed overview. This is just a quick one to yeah, just get into quick. how dividends work. Exactly. So owner cash flow is literally the amount of money you have in your pocket at the end of the year from renting out a house. And we're looking to purchase a, a house in this view that's a not Max, where the rents have not been maximized. It's suboptimal rent. Like we can increase the rent by trimming the lawn and painting the house. So simple things to make the rent go up. Um, and we're willing to pay 10% uh, yield. We're willing to pay enough money that we get a 10% yield on that investment. Okay? Okay. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So um, for just to make sure everybody follows that, if we're making a $10,000 of owner cash flow on that house, then we're willing to pay a hundred grand to buy the house. Okay, got it. All right, got so it's it, a ten percent yield. All right. Okay. Okay. Now let's walk into um, an understanding of dividends. When people are looking to value a business based on dividends, they're kind of looking to say that, like in the depression, there's no other value to the business. Like it doesn't matter what the what the purchase price is of the stock over time. It doesn't matter what the earnings are of the stock over time. 
What matters is that you're going to get this yield on your investment. This is your, one way of thinking of it is this is your owner cash flow. Hmm. That the dividend yeah, is cash. Okay. I can, uh, all right. So some people think that, but that's not how a rule number one investor would think about it. No, not at all. But I just wanted to give you an idea about why people might value a business based on dividends as owner oh, cash flow. Oh, I see. Like they would actually buy buy some stock only to get the dividends coming off of it. Right. Regardless of what they think is going to happen with that stock in the future. Right. So let's say that, that you were to buy a, a, a chocolate company that wasn't going to grow. You didn't expect it to grow at all. Um, and you would want it, you're going to want it for the cash flow. All right. So mm -hmm. in effect, if you were to buy a business that you owned outright, the dividend would be everything the company was making in terms of owner cash flow. It would be very much like the payback time analysis. Okay. Right. Public companies don't tend to pay out everything that they make. They don't tend to pay out all of their earnings in the form of a dividend. They just there's some reasons why not. But let's just say they don't, okay? So when okay. you value a public company just based on the dividend, you're missing out on a huge component of what's going on in that company. You're missing out on the use of all of the rest of the owner cash flow that is not being paid out as a dividend. It might be yeah. buying back stock and it might be helping grow the company. And we talked about that. We talked about the different ways that companies use their free cash flow. Right. One of, one of which is dividends and the other ways are investing in growth in the business or or keeping it as a, you know for a rainy day kind of emergency money. Right. Or buying Gulfstream jets. Or or buying buying stock back. Yeah, buying stock back. Or or, or buying Gulfstream jets. <laughs> which is and or paying their CEO 26 million instead of 20 million. That's right. That is the, something that they, do. they this is this is where they get off the tracks in our view. So, um Let's take a look at why we don't spend a lot of time valuing businesses based on dividends that are public businesses. So the first reason is because we're missing out on a huge, a huge part of the value of that business is not being considered in the dividend only analysis. And that part is helping grow the business or reduce the amount of stock in the business. Now, people who are doing a dividend only analysis will argue back that, hey, we're also going to include the value of the business out in the future when we sell it. And that new price will reflect all of the use of the rest of this owner's capital properly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so theoretically, they're going to end up valuing the business down the road and, and, and including that in their overall rate of return, which is true. Um, but then so that seems reasonable to me. Sure. But then you're right back into a normal valuation analysis because you've got to somehow figure out what that thing's worth out there way out in the future when you're going to sell it. How are you going to know what it's worth? So then they're going to do some sort of a PE valuation. They're going to do a discounted cash flow, future valuation. They're going to do something that is going to create a value in the future that they think they can rely on and then run their analysis that way. Well, I think that that view of, of looking at a company is actually what I meant when I was asking about how to factor in dividends. I mean, Okay, so there are some people who see it as like a dividend-only investment. Fine, whatever. <laughs> there you go. Fine, whatever. But really, 
what I'm thinking of is like, let's say there's company A that meets all the rule number one criteria of being a rule number one, of being a wonderful company. And then there's company B that meets all the rule number one criteria of being a wonderful company. Company B provides a dividend to its its shareholders and company A does not. It just keeps all of its money. Right. Would we, knowing that we are actual human people and not theoretical people who would enjoy having a check once a year, would we value company B a little bit more in, in some sort of, I don't know, either in a, in a real numerical sense or in kind of a, uh, the sense of like, I would like to get a check kind of sense, <laughs> more than company A. Well, as a rule one investor, out in the real world, the answer is yes, people do value the dividend producer um, at a little higher price, all other things being equal. And it's for that reason that you have companies like General Motors continuing to pay the dividend in spite of the whole rest of the company going to hell. Um, they're actually out there in the old, the old GM, not the new one. The old GM was borrowing money to continue to pay that super important dividend because people were valuing the business in a very simple, straightforward way called an internal uh, return on an, uh, R, an IRR. I forget what it stands for. Internal rate of return. IRR view of the world. And the IRR view of the world says you bought this for X, right? You paid $40 for this. Then you got a dollar, a dollar, a dollar, a dollar, a dollar for 20 years. Yeah. Dollar, dollar, yeah. dollar. And then you sold it for $50 at the end. And then you'll run a calculation on the overall internal rate of return. And the internal rate of return is in, is raised by the fact that you had the use of this capital of a dollar every year coming into the future. Uh, you got those dollars and you got to use them for something. And the internal rate of return says that's better than buying this for $40 and going nothing and then selling it for 50 That was such a good detailed encapsulation of what I was trying to describe. Thank you. You're very welcome. That, that involved like terms of art. <laughs> It involved numbers. And I was like, so um, sometimes it feels nice to get some money. That's now, all I've got. I got you. <laughs> That's all I got. I got you. But <laughs> but our, our premise was that these are identical companies. Correct. So then our analysis is wrong. Okay. Why? We have identical companies. Company B starts at a $40 value and spits out a dollar a year for 20 years. So it's taking money out of its pile and yes. sending it off to investors and ends up with 50 bucks and that's what it's sold for 20 years later. Company A does not send any money off to investors at all. It keeps it all. Therefore, if they're identical, well, therefore they cannot be identical because company, <laughs> company A is keeping $20 of cash. In, right. its, in other words, it's keeping $20. Now, Let's now, say the question that, is, what do they do with that $20? Okay, so if their return on equity is, let's say, 20% at company A, and return on equity is 20% at company B, then it appears they're identical. But they're not, because company A is making 20% return on the dollars that company E no longer has. Yeah, on, on more money. On more money, which means it will not be worth $50 in 20 years. It will be worth 60 or 70 
or 90. Interesting. Right? So yeah. if, if the managers of company A can continue to get a high return on those dollars that company B sent to shareholders, they will end up being worth a lot more money than $50 at the end of that 20 years. Got it. The problem with that is <clears throat> two problems. One, you have to sell your stock in that company, in company A, in order to see the actual dollar return. And that sucks if it's a really good company that you want to keep. So just in terms of like cash flow personally, that's a problem. It is. Secondly, and, and good, that's a very good point. We'll come back uh, to that. We can, yeah, we can talk about that one. But I'll just say the second one is, is you said if the managers can use that money in a way to make sure that they get the same return. And that's a big if, because they might just sit on it. They might buy them a Gulfstream, a Gulfstream jet, you know, like, and that's part of choosing a company with good management. So I guess that's where a bit of the art comes in of investing. And it's, it's really where you start to question whether these are identical. Because yeah, if, they started, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if they started buying Gulfstream jets, um, Gulfstream jets tend to have a negative return on equity. In other words, <laughs> you, you've converted uh, $20 million from cash, which might be used to market the products, into a jet. And the jet costs you money every year. And your return on equity on that $20 million, right? It's still in your books because you paid $20 million. You basically just converted something from cash asset to jet asset. And, and now you don't have the cash to grow with, you've got this jet. So almost inevitably your return on equity, if you had two companies and that's all they did differently, your return on equity is gonna be better in the company that didn't buy the jet. Yeah, right? it's, it's a poor example because the idea behind what you teach is that you choose companies with management that are not going to waste money on a corporate jet. Right, so or if we said, equivalent. If we said company A and company B are identical and they have great management, then again, they're not identical by definition because the managers of B have concluded that they need to get the money out of the company in order to sustain a high return yeah. on equity. Yeah, good point, good point. Company A says, no, we can keep it in here and, re and sustain a high return on equity. Yeah. Uh, in fact, we would judge these managers just like Warren Buffett does by their overall consistent return on equity. And if they started doing something that started to cause return on equity to go down, then we would know they're mismanaging the company. Mm -hmm. So by definition, if they're both holding their equity up, then they have to be, if they're both holding their ROE up to the same standard of 20%, then they have to be different companies because one of them needs the, can use the cash well and the other one cannot. That's a really good point. They're both being I guess I, well. I think of I think of Apple and how they've been stockpiling like what like billions of dollars, right? Right. right. And their shareholders have started clamoring for a dividend. Right. Because they're not doing anything with that money. They're not investing it in the company. They're not buying other com I mean, I'm sure they're doing like some of that, but they're just stockpiling so much money and and shareholders have been saying rather than just having it sit there, give some of it back to us. And so I guess that's the scenario I think of, of, of in company A, where they're really not doing much with it. But in that case, maybe that's a company you don't want to be invested in. Exactly. That's exactly what you look at. I mean, right now, Apple has maybe ballpark, ballpark um, 50 million, or excuse me, 50 $70 billion in um, 
Sorry, forty-one billion dollars in. Uh, sorry. <laughs> This drives Melissa completely I'd like some crazy. Freaking sharks with laser beams on their heads. <laughs> this drives Melissa nuts. I know it drives you nuts too. Sorry. All right. This company basically has um, just a gigantic pile of cash. <laughs> Roughly forty-one billion. Let's just go with what I said, which was some number of billions. Billions and billions. Right. So, so they they uh, the question is, can they use it well? And investors have come along like Carl Icahn and said, "Hey, give it back to us." And they've started doing so. They've started saying, "Well, I guess the jig's up, and we gotta, we gotta, we gotta, we can't just sit here on it." But what's ironic here, and what you know, is an argument perhaps that a Buffett would raise about this is that don't be taking money out of a company that's doing what Apple's doing with it. Their return on equity is stunning and getting larger. So mm -hmm. if you went and averaged their return on equity back over the last 10 years, it'd be about 30%. Today, oh. it's at 44. Whoa. Yeah, so. So nobody's really complaining. Well, that's not true. People are complaining, but well, maybe and, they shouldn't be. And part of it is that they just turned back a bunch of cash and, they, and that jacked up their return on equity like crazy. So. Everybody's a bit right oh. here, you know. Okay. But before they okay. before they turned it back, yeah, yeah, that's that's really what happened. They turned it back, and now they're got a much higher return on equity. And they also started to borrow a little money, and, and so that they could have the same cash available. Um, they have a they have a year's worth of debt now, which is fine. Um, so point well taken. Uh, different companies are going to have different strategies about this, and there's going to be an argument about it whether you can use the money properly or not, or what you should do with it. Um, but all things being equal. If you've got one company giving the money back and retaining, returning its, uh, keeping its return on equity at 20%, and you've got one company not giving the money back and sustaining it at 20%, the company that's not giving it back is going to be worth more in the future um, as a result of that kind of investment strategy, as long as they keep their ROE high, right? What I hear is basically... This is the, the frustrating part of investing for me is that this is basically a judgment call. You got to look at what the company has been doing with their free cash flow and what they say they intend to do with it in the future and make a call about whether or not you think those are good decisions. Yep. And, and I think also, secondly, or maybe firstly, you have to consider your own financial situation and your own financial goals. I mean... If I'm somebody who, I don't know, this is something we should talk about actually, like how you decide what kind of um, cash flow you need in investing. So if I'm somebody who says like 10 years from now, I wanna make sure I have a steady income from dividends because for whatever reason, I need money coming in on the regular. Right. And therefore I will make different decisions than somebody else who really doesn't care and just wants to sell their companies at some point down the line in order to see their returns. Right. I mean, that's the part That's the part that sucks, though, that gets me, is that you have to actually sell in order to see any um, any profit. If you want to, if you're, if you're, if your company is rolling along doing awesome, you're not going to want to sell them. But if you need some cash, you're going to have to. Right. Right. 
Okay, Dad, well, let me deal real, with this. Can you fix? <laughs> I'm gonna fix this for you. I'm like, I'm like, um. So sometimes you have to sell things in order to make money. <laughs> can you fix that problem for me? <laughs> so the answer is that if it's not quite as it's not in the real world quite the way it looks on paper. Like you're gonna have to make these very difficult decisions between buying this wonderful business that is massively on sale but doesn't produce dividends versus mm -hmm. one that's wonderful and massively on sale but it does produce dividends. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, this will probably never be an issue because yeah. in the real and world, it's hard to find one. If you my wallet's find... too heavy from all my hundreds and my diamond <laughs> shoes are too tight. <laughs> exactly. You would be in nirvana if this problem was happening on a regular basis. The fact of the matter is that if you had two companies, one of which both of which are massively on sale and both of which are wonderful and both of which you understand and which have great moats and great management and and one's not doing dividends and one is you buy them both the answer is both the answer is okay. all of the above every single time because it's the answer is those are hard to find so like get them have a have a happy dance and let yeah have a happy dance and and let it just be what it is okay because if you put Let's say you buy 10 companies in your portfolio at an up. Let's just say that what happens is what I think is going to happen. The market's going to crumble eventually, right? In the next year or so. And okay. that we're going to be able to buy great companies on sale. So we prepare ourselves by creating a watch list. And now here come 10 of them. Your top 10 companies off your watch list are all on sale all at once because of a gigantic international meltdown on the stock markets. Okay, great. Now you step in and you buy all 10 of them. Now, some of those are going to produce some dividends. Some of them are not. It, does, it doesn't matter. And in, here's, here's what matters. Here's the question we're trying to answer. In the valuation of those companies, when we're studying them, when we're researching them, we do not use those dividends in any different way Correct. in terms of our valuation calculation. Exactly. That's, that's what you're saying. Exactly. We are looking at owner's cash flow and earnings to calculate uh, owner cash flow, free cash flow and earnings to calculate a view of value three different ways. And if we come in and get the right value on this business, we want to buy it. What they're doing with the owner earnings later is, is, is subsequent to our purchase decision. And we're going to end up with some companies where they use that money and grow like a weed, like Apple and we're going to and Google. And we're going to end up with some companies like IBM that pour it all out there in the form of dividends and uh, and buybacks and and essentially in one form or another give us all of the earnings and owner cash flow back every year. We're going to end up with both kinds of companies, you know, God willing, you know, from my lips to God's ears that we do that. So that if you if it just turned out that way and you ended up with ten companies with your whole portfolio loaded in there. And all 10 of them were non-dividend producers, right? They're all 10 just great businesses you bought on sale. Trust me on this, in four or five years, you will have racked up three, four, 500% returns, 600% returns, 700, sometimes 1,000% returns, which is exactly what happened from 2009 until now. So what difference does it make whether they're paying a dividend or not if you've gotten back a 40 to 50 to 60 to 80% compounded annual growth rate for five or six years? And the answer is no, no difference whatsoever. You have just smashed home runs out of the park, okay? So okay. now, as you go down the road, 
you will end up with dividend producers. You'll end up with an IBM here and there, okay? And by the way, this okay. is not to say go buy IBM. Now, as you approach retirement, now you're 10 years away from retirement, you're thinking, okay, I'm gonna hang it up in 10 years, or I'm gonna hang it up in a couple, I'm gonna hang it up as soon as I get enough cash flow going to hang it up, okay? Yeah, yeah. Well, you start holding on to the dividenders, and you go ahead and unload these wonderful businesses that don't pay dividends when they jump up well above their sticker, you sell them and you take that cash and you buy additional companies, whatever ones you can find. But there will be dividend producers in there just naturally. It's just you're, you're picking up what's available, but there will be dividend producers. What you're doing is holding on to your dividend producers. Every year you will consider that the dividend that comes off of that company is return of capital. So you start off with, let's say, IBM at $150 a share. Wait a second. Wait, let's just take a moment. Here. I can see we're going to need a whole nother podcast on this one. You just said for the last half an hour that we don't care if we they don't give care. dividends. And now you're saying we care a lot and you should keep them and not sell them. Um, it's not a contradiction. We don't care because we're going to take the great companies when they come to us. Remember, we'll be we'll be rich if we find 20 of these in our lifetime. All right, we're not just, we're, if you find 20 non-dividend companies in your lifetime, you will be so rich you won't care about dividends. You can put your money in, you know, U.S. treasuries and sit there and just live on it. It'll be fine, okay? Okay. All right, okay. but okay. we will do better than U.S. treasuries if some of these 20 punch card companies are dividend producers, if they come to us as dividend producers. That's awesome. So if we get a dividend producer, like let's say an IBM, we get the cash flow coming off of that, and here's what we do with it. We, we rethink what that means. The rest of the world thinks a dividend is a yield on your investment. It's the money you get as a return on your investment. That's how the rest of the world looks at it. We look at it differently. We look at it as a return of capital. So we're looking at a dividend the way we would if we bought the whole company. It's a private company and we're trying to get our money back. All right. So all the dividend is, is all of the money the companies make this owner cash flow. So if we've got a company that doesn't need any of the owner cash flow to, to continue to operate, we take that in as a return of capital. Remember, we were looking at just trying to figure out how long it would take us to get our money back. So we can get so out of the is, risk. This relates to the payback time valuation. It does. It does. So, so if we return, if we're receiving this dividend, cash is coming in. We consider it a return of capital. So I start off, let's say, with IBM at 150 bucks a share, and that year I got ten dollars of dividend. Mm -hmm. All right, that's way higher than they actually did, but let's just do it. Ten dollars of dividend. The next year I got twelve dollars of dividend. The next year I got $15 of dividend, the next year I got 20, and the next year I got 25. So in the first five years of ownership here, I've gotten, um, I've gotten, I got a lot of money. That's huge, <laughs> 45, 60, I've gotten. Yeah, you've gotten a lot of money. I got $82, okay? So subtract that from 150, and you have, $68 of what is called adjusted basis. So my new risk in this company at the end of five years is $68 because I've taken 
$82 off the table in the form of dividends. Do you see how I'm looking at it? I'm looking at it like a private owner. All right, absolutely see how you're looking at it. Awesome, you do really? I do not see how this doesn't mean that companies that give off dividends are better, are not better than companies that don't give off dividends. This sounds good. This Let is me good. recap. This sounds good. <laughs> Why would I not want this? Well, you... Why would I not say to myself, hey, company B that gives dividends, eh, that like, makes my adjusted basis go down. That sounds great. Why would I not say that? You would say that 100%. You would say that 100%. But you're not going to ignore the company A's that come along because it's so hard to find our 20. So you're going to buy Aha! the A's as well. So you do value, okay, not in terms of numbers, but in terms of love. You do value companies that give off dividends All right, a little bit more highly than companies that don't. And yet, because companies are so hard to find, if I may just recap exactly what you just said, because companies are so hard to find to buy, you take them all. I think that's a fair analysis, okay? Um, I don't really think in my own little heart that I lean toward dividend producers. And part of the reason is, is that I don't really have to live on a dividend retirement plan, you know? So, mm -hmm. so I've, never, I've never felt like I needed to have dividend producing companies when I'm building up a portfolio with any company that I'm buying on sale and, and it's going up, number one. Number two. Dividend producers tend to have lower rates of growth than non-dividend yeah, I mean, producers. Yeah, that's what you just described with our A and yeah. B example. They tend to, they tend to be companies that are farther along in their in their sort of um, age of the company, and they're not able to grow as fast. So Coca Cola is going to produce dividends. You know, G uh, GM is going to throw off dividends again someday. But companies that are startup companies, like a, more like a Google or an Apple. Uh, are not going to produce dividends for you because they can use all the capital very effectively to continue to grow the company. So they tend to have higher growth rates. So if we can buy those guys, I, again, I'm not leading, you're painting me into a corner here, so I'm talking about it. But I don't recognize any real lust for dividend producers per se in my portfolios. I take I them. get it. I'm not, I'm not trying to paint you into a corner at all. I'm just really trying to get a sense of priorities. Right. Because I think sometimes we behave in in life <laughs> according to priorities that we aren't haven't necessarily um, consciously thought of and i so, think so i would i would immediately say yes that's true and therefore do not prioritize toward a dividend company because it yeah, may cause yeah. you to lean away from yeah, something really good yeah and i also think that part of that is we will we each have our own personal financial goals and our own personal financial um, situation and for some people, dividends may be more of a goal than others. I agree. Um, and, and even in that case, I would even probably more strongly urge that they not really lean that way. Because no. people, for whom, <laughs> people for whom dividends tend to be much higher priority are, tend to be people that need to retire in the near, near future. 10 years, not 30. Right? Uh -huh. Five years, not 20. Um, and if you know you're going to retire in five years, Having dividend producers in your portfolio is fantastic. What I'm afraid of, though, is if I really urge people to look for those in particular and to weight them and to prefer them, they would miss out on wonderful company A's that would have made them so much money they wouldn't have to worry about dividends. Got it. 
Got it. So like beware of your own biases. Yeah, definitely. Now, ultimately, if you end up with a retirement portfolio that's stacked full of companies that you bought for $150 and you have $60 in them in risk and they're paying off, you know, $25 a year on a $68 investment, that looks pretty good to me, too. And that is a very we call that a yield on adjusted basis. And in fact, later on, Danielle, we will talk about building that kind of a portfolio, being aware that that's what you're doing um, in terms of, of targeting a retirement that's producing where your portfolio as a whole is producing 20 percent a year or better in cash flow. And you don't care if the market ever goes down. Doesn't matter. You'll just keep these companies. You've got the cash flow to live on. Every year, the cash flow gets bigger because these guys are raising their dividends. They're raising their buybacks. It's it's nirvana for retirement, and we will definitely get into that. At which point in time, I, I, I reserve the right to change my mind and tell you to lean toward dividend producers, but not yet. No, I, I, I really did not mean to like make you make a choice on that one. And I think, I think what I'm what I'm hearing is is we just we just need to figure out our own style on this. Yeah. And and have a, have a good sense of what we're doing and why. Yep. Um, but at the end of the day, it's really important to me that you get that as you as my student understand that we're evaluating companies based on earnings or free cash flow or owner cash flow and we're going to focus on buying them when you get that opportunity. Okay. And we're not focusing on valuing these businesses based on Oh, um, it's a little more it's a little more perfect because it's got dividends. It's being mm, paid out. Mm, mm, uh -uh. Mm -hmm. It's it's keep it really in that box and you won't make any mistakes. OK. All right. And we, on that, I think that's a good place to close. Me too. Well, you guys uh, questions go to Danielle. At, no. no, they, they don't. go to questions. They go to questions at investedpodcast.com. That's right. <laughs> And if you want to come learn this stuff from us, come and learn it from us. We're, we're teaching a class once a month. You guys can come for free. Three days packed, no selling ever. Uh, and you'll come out of there really a strong rule one investor. And with that... Us, us means you. Us means me. me. Occasionally, I get Danielle there. And you can go to investedpodcast.com to find out about that workshop. Right on. All right. Time to go. Time to go play. See you. <laughs> thanks, everybody. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested, the Rule One podcast. If you like this episode, you can always get our show notes and more details and links to the resources we discussed at investedpodcast.com. Also, as long as you're online, head on over to investedpodcast.com slash workshop for details on an upcoming three-day live workshop that I'm hosting. All you got to do to go is enter the special podcast code STOCKPILE. That's S-T-O-C-K-P-I-L-E, STOCKPILE, into the application form and you guys can attend for free. So everything discussed on this show is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it is not to be taken as investment advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really do hope you've enjoyed it. So until next week, it's time to go play. See ya.